Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Syrupcast episode 28. And this, what's wrong? I said, damn, 28. 28. What's wrong is that I have a sore throat and a hoarse voice thanks to the plague that was 160,000 attendees. uh, And one of whom uh, was you, Jane. Yeah. How are you? you. You're patient zero. I hope you know that. I don't believe that. (laughs) There must be there must be some other fool who brought it along. Yeah, I know. Well, should but I it was it was almost instant. I got it back. Was, yeah, it always is. You I, either get you either get sick when you're there, or you get back and you think you've escaped it, and and it hits you the next day. Just when you should CS, be feeling better. Yeah, and exactly, I was sick before, and then I was fine for CES and didn't sleep on the plane, and that's it. So. We're back now, and we're back into the swing of things. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year to you, Jane. Happy New Year. We're missing Doug today because he's also sick. Yes, he's also been stricken with the flu. Um, so we're going to get right into it. There wasn't a whole lot of mobile stuff at CES this year, but what was there was intriguing. And there were two devices in particular that we are going to highlight in the pod today. Uh, the first is the LG G Flex 2. So that was the first press conference of the day zero essentially which was monday and it was at zero o'clock in the morning it it was was definitely close to that so the way ces works is that everybody gets there saturday sunday sunday's a whole day sunday's a day for pre-briefing for press and there's a bunch of ces unveiled in the evening and there's some meetings in the afternoons but by and large nothing really happens until monday which is press day, which is when everybody does their big press conferences. LG began at 8 p.m., 8 a.m. rather, and Sony ended the day at 5 p.m., and we'll touch on both of those a bit. But Sony uh, and LG couldn't have been more different. LG focused on uh, washing machines and refrigerators and ended its press conference with the G Flex 2. Now, they're pretty proud of this, and I think they should be, because the G Flex 2 is a really good smartphone. I think you would agree. It was uh, it's smaller, it's lighter, it's better in every way, and it's the first shipping device with Qualcomm's new Snapdragon A10 system on a chip. So let's talk about the G Flex too. What what do you think? What were your first impressions? Um, it looks like a Ferrari. I think the red one is all anybody should care about. I think the red <laughs> one is so pretty. Um, yeah, no, I I was a really big fan of the the original G Flex. Um, is this shipping before the, I mean, I know that it's semantics, but is this shipping before the Note 4 with Snapdragon A10? Like, which one is technically shipping first? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's a good point. I think point. it's kind of a race at this point to be first. 
Um, I don't I'm... think it matters because the A10 version of the Note 4 will never leave North uh, North Korea. It'll <laughs> never come to North Korea. It'll never leave South Korea. Um, so, yeah, no, yeah. but I, I want this phone. I want it. I want it. I want lots of them. I want to swim in a bath of G Flex 2. So it, it look, it's, I don't know. I The only thing I'm worried about is the camera. That's for me. Because um, I haven't really done well, much of this. So. The same camera as the uh, LG G2. Three essentially, which I haven't used all that much, so I don't really know if it's. It has a good camera. It's not. Uh, it's not the best. It's not the worst. It's yeah. pretty much right in the middle. Uh, the the things to note about the G Flex are mostly in the in, in the build, right? They've they've redone uh, the curve itself. They've added a, a a better screen. It's a 1080p display, and it's a plastic OLED display. So say, what that yeah. means is. What that means is that you have sort of a very flexible substrate. Um, it can, you know, we've seen examples of the G, uh, of the plastic OLED that doesn't really have any problems bending right in half. And the major issue is the is the glass. So they have this extra strong glass that uh, runs uh, above it, above the LCD itself, and it's just beautiful. It's an OLED display, so it's got perfect contrast. It's got great color, excellent viewing angles, uh, and and that curve. Oh. And it's it's different from I know that this is a big thing when the Galaxy Round was was introduced too, because those the, the Galaxy Round and the G Flex, the original G Flex, were within like a month of each other, weren't they? But they was, yeah they were. The the Galaxy Round was sort of like the Samsung kind of faked it a bit. With they had like the flexible display, that like the curved display, but LG had like an actual flexible phone. I think this, this one's the same in that. Um, the battery is flexible too. It's like an LG patented technology. They've used like a, they've specially developed the battery so that the entire phone can be flexed. Can bend. Yeah, it's awesome. And we've seen that. You know, you yeah. can actually, you can take the phone and you can actually bend it almost straight. Yeah. And um, we should have mentioned it's a top to bottom curve as opposed yeah. to a left to right curve. Um, Samsung's been doing a lot of stuff with the left to right, and we saw that with the Note Edge. But the top down actually feels better in the hand because yeah, and it fits on your face too. It feels real nice. It's like when you rest your hand on your face, I like guess. <laughs> exactly, you make a. <laughs> what you, you can do with your shape. phone. <laughs> now that's not uh, particularly useful in most situations. I mean, most people don't make phone calls anymore. It's true. But it does allow for a slightly smaller or at least shorter. Device. It's a 5.5 inch yeah. phone, but it feels uh, significantly uh, shorter than it, that. Yeah, and it it does. It's I don't know if it's because I've been using the Nexus Six for for over a month now, but it it feels like a really one-handed phone. I don't know. Is that me? Did you feel like it? Was it did feel a bit like that? I mean, we've we've sort of had to change our definition of one-handed phone because no longer is any phone above five inches even remotely one-handed in the same sense as it used to be. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing as a... I mean, any flagship Android phone above 5 inches still needs a second hand for support a lot of the time. Mm. But uh, this is as close as it gets with a 5.5-inch display. And uh, LG's done a lot of stuff. You know, they work directly with Qualcomm. So they usually... I believe the G2 was one of the first devices to launch with the Snapdragon 800. Uh, two years ago, or no, it was a year ago. Or, yeah, it was yeah, a, like a little over a year ago. Yeah. Didn't they launch it at? Uh, 
Didn't they launch it at CES 2014? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. No, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Um, but um, the, uh, you know, I remember them, uh, pr I remember them uh, talking about the G2 and how it had a really, they, they have a great relationship with, uh, with Qualcomm. Qualcomm. And they, they're always putting out devices first with the latest Qualcomm chips. So I think it's a good thing, you know. Hopefully it'll come to Canada. I think they, they wouldn't have promoted it as much among the Canadian media if it wasn't. So I know. We'll I really, really, really want it to come to Canada. I'm like, I'm ready to ditch the Nexus already. I'm like, screw it. Doesn't matter. I was so in love with the Nexus like a week ago. And you know, what happened? It looks like a race car, Daniel. Oh, so you you like it because of that. No, I just, it's just, it's just, it's just gorgeous. It's just a beautiful phone. So pretty. And like, we, we always have this thing that we talk about. And I, don't, I know you talked about it in, in your article about reviews. But every phone now is good. I mean, so if they can make something that, I, that gives me that kind of reaction just from the, from the construction, then yeah, I want it. Yeah, so you're, you're referring to an article I wrote right before the new year uh, called um, Method Acting in Smartphone Reviews. And uh, that's an article that I'm, I'm pretty happy with that uh, came from the idea that, you know, whenever I write a review, I often get pushback from people who say that, you know, you're not writing that review for me, you're writing it for, for yourself. And of course, that's the truth. And I can only give you know, my experience with the device and, and you can only give yours. But um, as a result of that, we're going to be pushing uh, away from scores, from, from uh, numeric scores in the new year. So our next review, which is the Galaxy Note Edge, uh, which is going to be coming to Canada very soon, uh, is not going to have a score. And we'll see how that works. It, uh, it's a bit of a circle because my Initially on Mobile Syrup, I did not have scores, and then we did a redesign a couple of years ago, and we added them back, and now we're getting rid of them again. So just good an riddance. aside. Yeah. Good riddance. It's really, I mean, every phone is so good, and you can't give a phone a score without yeah. m making it relative to other devices. And it's also hard for us, too, because, you know, it's, it's easy for someone to read it and look at a story and say, oh, I can't believe they gave this phone a 7.5. But when we're actually scoring a device... It's so much harder because how granular do you want to be? Like you can be in love with a phone's display, but just hate the UI. And then you know you, you can think that the hardware is amazing and that the build quality is amazing if only it didn't run X or Y. So it's it's really difficult for us to objectively say I give this phone an X out of ten when there's so many things that you love or hate about it that would That's define exactly right. whether or not you use the device. Right. So. So. And you know it's it's interesting because. You know, I also talked about entrenched ecosystems and everybody's got their now, you know, we're seven, eight years into the mobile uh, revolution. Everybody's entrenched in, in one ecosystem or another, be it Apple, Google or, or Microsoft. And it becomes very difficult to objectively review products when you can't fully invest in their ecosystems. So for me, I haven't been buying uh, Windows Phone apps for years and years, and I don't have a lot of the best ones because they're mostly paid for because rather they're mostly paid because third-party developers have been forced to augment experiences that uh, the the companies just wouldn't won't invest in on Windows Phone. So you'll see apps like you know third-party Instagram 
uh, client that costs money. And because the, the first party Instagram client is crap. And I haven't invested in those apps because I've been on uh, Android and iOS for the last five, six years. So when I review a Windows phone device, I can only go by what I what I know and, and what I know are the crappy, cheap, free, you know, underdeveloped apps. And and I, I understand that's that's, that's not too, fair. Though. Like if I bought a Windows phone if, or if my if my sister bought a Windows phone and I knew what those 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 more expensive but better apps were and she was like, Oh, I, I really miss my Nexus, like or I miss my iPhone the Instagram app on this is crap. And I said, oh, no, 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 you don't use that one. That is crap. Use this one. It costs $1.99. I feel like she would be like, but I never had to pay for Instagram on my old phone. I feel like even that is like a negative against Windows Phone. Sorry, Jeff. Absolutely. But it is. Like, it's it's like, I don't know. I think even then, if that's people's argument, they're like, well, you're not paying for the good apps. It's like, I shouldn't have to pay for, yeah, you can pay for a premium experience. You shouldn't have to pay for like a certain like benchmark level of like usability. Well, another example and, and, and more poignant is uh, the one about being invested in a in a particular kind of cloud infrastructure. So if you store your contacts, your calendar, or your email uh, with Google, the experience isn't great on Windows Phone and uh, and BlackBerry because you don't have access to those core uh, you know functionalities that they build out on on Android and iOS. So so you know that's the article, and, and if you haven't read it, uh, you know we'll we'll link to it in the show in the show notes. Uh, but let's let's continue talking about the G Flex too, because I think that it's it's a device that's become uh, that at least from my brief hands on with it looks like it could go fairly mainstream, yeah. uh, as opposed to the G Flex uh, OG, which was basically this oversized, underpowered, underdeveloped device. You know, it, it shipped with uh, with Jelly Bean Android four point two. Uh, long after uh, 4.3 uh, came out, and it skipped 4.3 to go to to KitKat. But the the software on the G Flex was terrible, and and what we saw of the Lollipop build on the G Flex Two uh, was was pretty pretty impressive. Uh, they've cleaned up a lot of the problems from the G Three. What do you think the G Four is going to look like if this is the G Two or if this is the G Flex Two? Like, because this see this feels like a flagship. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. But this is this is their note equivalent, I think. You know, they don't have a a great high end second phone like Samsung and and, and now Apple. Yeah. Uh, I think the G three will be bigger. I think it'll be a five point seven inch device because they are so good with eliminating bezels. It won't be nearly as big as the Note. They um, they'll probably keep it at QHD. Obviously, they'll improve the screen. But I really don't see a lot that they can do other than to improve the hardware. You know, I they don't my, have the gimmick. Yeah. I feel like I'll already uh, be disappointed. I'll be like, oh, it's kind of the same, but flat. <laughs> but that's that's the problem facing every OEM this yeah, year. Yeah, you know, I know. The Galaxy but... S6 is inevitably going to uh, rest on whether or not Samsung can create a great piece of hardware. And even if they do, you know, you wrote a story today about how uh, Samsung is expected to clean up TouchWiz to the point where it's going to resemble stock Android, which I completely call BS on. Why? Uh, there's no, there's no way. I don't think Samsung... you're, I don't think they're going to go that far. I don't think it's going to be stock Android, but I do think that they're they're going to streamline it because that's that's where they've been going, and they were they've been like killing all their garbage first party apps that they insist on installing on people's phones. I feel like I feel like they they might go in the direction of 
instead of trying to replicate functionality that's already there and like try and provide nicer things that you can't get anywhere else, which is the way it should be. But yeah, I don't think they're eliminating those those crappy hubs and stuff. You know, they just announced Milk Video at CES this year, which is the uh, video equivalent of their milk uh, milk music product. It's U.S. only. Every single milk product so far is U.S. only. Right, but we have spoken to um, to Samsung Canada's reps about that. And Milk Video uh, is a global product. That's what he said. He wouldn't specifically talk about Canada, yeah. but he said that video is a global product and they're currently looking into content licensing. So I have no doubt that at some point Milk Video and Milk uh, Music as well, because it's powered by slacker radio which is available in canada so i don't see a reason for them not coming here and i think those will be pre-installed on uh on galaxy devices going forward uh, so yeah I, I think uh you know we can probably expect the flex 2 to come to canada and probably the march or april uh time frame all right probably around the time uh, the nexus 6 will be announced the what? The Nexus, or not the Nexus, sorry, the Galaxy S6. Well, the Galaxy S6 is going to be announced at uh, MWC, yeah. for sure. Couple so, yeah. you know, that's not that's not really uh, up for the... I mean, they've, always, they've done it at MWC for the last two years, right? Yeah. The Galaxy S3, Galaxy S4, Galaxy S5, the last three years. So, that'll be fun. And there's also going to be an HTC One M9 coming soon. There's going to be a bunch of great flagships in the first part of the new year. So, uh, you know, the, G, the G3 is already six months old. And uh, LG needed something else. Uh, so another device that we saw was the Yodafone 2. And I, I hadn't seen that yet uh, until Pepcom. And, and we got a pretty good hands-on with it. If you haven't seen the video, check it out on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I was really impressed with this device. Really, really impressed. You know, the company listened to uh, its its very small user base uh, from the original, and they just completely overhauled it. And I, I was, I was, yeah. There's quite some things shocked. Yeah, well, there's some things that I feel like they they probably knew that they couldn't they couldn't continue into the second model. Like the back, like the rear touch screen was. Um, the rear touch screen, or it wasn't it? The rear screen wasn't touch. It had like a touch strip on the bottom that you were supposed to use as like a, a trackpad. And yeah. Like, there's no way they could have kept that. That was terrible. It was gross. And then they had. Did you? I, I didn't see the. I didn't see the UI at CS because you did. You did the Yoda meeting. But it was. What's what? Like, what are the? What's the UI like? I know that they had like these weird, like swipe soft key things going on. Do they still have that? Yeah. It. It has a bunch of functionality on the uh, EPD side, the electronic paper display. And uh, what they can do now, instead of requiring developers to build native apps for the uh, e-paper side, they can actually mirror what's happening on the phone side because it has a 1080p, a 5-inch 1080p uh, AMOLED display, which is beautiful as well, and it works really well. Uh, they can mirror what's on that side on the e-paper side and it works brilliantly so what they've shown is twitter they showed spotify you can actually uh you know you can keep your your uh, music artwork on on the epd side and it, it looks great so uh you know i was i was really impressed with it and 
there's there's just something cool about being able to turn your phone over and get you know five days of of reading uh, of uh, you know ebook life. Um, you know you're not going to use it for just for that, but you can basically push two days worth of battery life just by using that side. Did they talk? Did they mention at all about how long it would last? Like once you get a kind of a low battery warning, if you switch to the other side, they mention how how much longer you can like eke out that last tiny bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's similar to the way that uh, a Galaxy S5 has an ultra low power mode or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you pr- you can probably get a, a, a few hours, if not a full day, but you can't really do anything intense on the backside. You know, you can't browse the internet properly. Uh, the refresh rate's just not good enough. Yeah. Uh, you can't certainly can't play games, and uh, you know you can read and, and and you can browse through Twitter, and then that's about it. Uh, there are native um, experiences that they're that they're building, and they said that uh, the the product manager for North America, Matthew Kelly, told me that he was actually up in Toronto a few weeks before CES, talking to Kobo about building a native application. Which is really cool. Ooh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so when's that? When is that coming out again? Well, it's out already. I mean, it's out in the UK, and no, I mean for Canada, uh, can, is it is it coming no, to Canada? They haven't they haven't said anything. It's coming to the US at some point, so you can assume that it'll come to Canada as well because Yoda's already uh, said that they uh, are they already have an R and D lab here, but they've said that they're. Uh, potentially putting a lot of its distribution in Canada, and they think that there's a market for the Yodafone too. So, I mean, it, it could have been lip service, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think it would do quite well. They, the, Matt, Kelly said that he spoke to Rogers uh, about bringing the phone to Canada too. I, I think that it could be a cool differentiator, you know, if it came as yeah. an exclusive. Uh, yeah, like you, I, I just, you know, it's, I feel like it's one of those things that's a cool feature to have, but. I would be really keen to see more of like the phone itself as opposed to the rear display, just so I can. You okay over there? <laughs> oh. Oh, you're still gone. There we go. <laughs> Was I making noise? Uh, well, you're making noise at the start, and then and then I asked if you're okay, and then everything went quiet. But anyway, not a big deal. Oh dear. Deal. Um. Yeah. No. I want to see. I. W- I feel like there's so much focus on that rear display, which is super awesome, but. I want to see what it's like as a phone itself first. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's you know another thing to keep in mind is that you, you know, they've they've focused on on the differentiator so much you don't know whether um, yeah, know, it's decent so as little. a phone. Yeah, I've heard so little about it as a phone. Who knows? I mean, yeah. you know, they're again the the idea of a high end smartphone is so commoditized. I was going to say it's days. probably grand. <laughs> like they're all fine. It's probably decent. Yeah, it was running stock KitKat. Uh, it's going to be upgraded to Lollipop soon. Uh, we actually saw a bunch of Lollipop at uh, CES. You know, there wasn't a lot of phone announcements. Um, but I saw... What was it? An Alcatel OneTouch Pixie device running... No, it, was not, it wasn't a Pixie. No, it was, it was the Pop 2, was it? Yeah, it was the Pop Icon or something. Or Pop... Stop calling things Pop Alcatel. It's really confusing. I know. Um, Pop Pop Icon 2, Pop Icon Plus. I don't know. 
Um, one of the, one of their new devices that's coming out. It's a low end device. It won't come to Canada, but it's running Lollipop already. And the Pop Ten tablet, which is going to come to Canada, is running Lollipop Two. Uh, so it's the first non kind of like stock Lollipop build that I've seen. Uh, it was fairly unchanged, and they said that they're going to increase improve it. Uh, but it was running five point zero point two, which was even newer than mm-hmm. what's currently available on uh, you know devices like the HTC One Developer Edition and and things like that, um, or rather the HTC One uh, Play Store Google Play Edition. Uh, so yeah, so Alcatel, uh, we had a long meeting with them, and, and and they impressed us. You know, they've they've come a long way in a very short amount of time, and and I think. Uh, you know they're building themselves up, obviously, and they're they're claiming that they're the fourth biggest OEM in Canada by sales, and that could be the case based on the price of their devices. You know, if you walk into a store and you don't really know what phone you want, and you see a decent-looking Alcatel One Touch Idol X Plus on you know, and it's zero dollars, and it has the same specs as a Galaxy S4, which is fifty dollars or whatever you buy it and that's kind of what what people have done but they also acknowledge that when when every phone eventually goes to zero dollars most consumers will choose a samsung or an lg over a brand that they don't recognize and most people don't recognize one touch because well it's brand new essentially and it's uh you know they may know the name alcatel because it's associated with the old french company but tcl which is a chinese oem bought the alcatel one touch brand and uh, has made quite a splash so uh, they they announced they announced a watch too and and you got to play with it what what did you think um i thought that there's so much garbage wearables at cs this year but i thought that this is one of the devices that was not running android wear and it wasn't like it was Again, I think it kind of is representative of Alcatel as a company. Is that it's not one of the ma- it's one of the non-major brands that is actually doing something like well. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much it's going to be. Do you know how much it's going to be? It's going to be one forty-nine US, so about one sixty to one seventy Canadian, yeah, uh, which undercuts right. yeah. pretty much every. That's how much I would pay for it. I think that yeah, it's. It's nicer than like it's it's a really good kind of midway solution for and it's, I think it's what it needs because the smartwatches are still too expensive for people to to be like oh I think I'll try that I don't know if I'll use one but I'd like to buy one just to see and then the activity bands just kind of boring because there's no there's no touchy touchy which is what people want so um, so yeah I think it's I think it's 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 well positioned um, what do you think there's some there's some really interesting aspects to it. You know, the fact that they built a USB charger and an NFC antenna right into the band, which is uh, useful because you don't need to have a, a oh, custom yeah, dock. And the strap, yeah. uh, it runs a real-time OS, so it's compatible with both Android and iOS. And while Alcatel promises to keep adding new features to it, by and large, this is a very low-power kind of notification triage yeah. device. But it does have heart rate sensing or heart rate monitoring it has step counts and it even has an altimeter so it'll count the number of flights you uh, climb every day these are kind of uh, built-in features that work quite well you know the touchscreen is pretty low res it's only 250 262,000 colors and it's 
very, very low resolution. I would say yeah. probably around uh, 100 by 100 or maybe 150 by 150 pixels. But it it's just fine, and and they're gonna they're gonna sell a bunch of them. Yeah, so. I think it will be. A, it's a really good gateway drug for for wearables for people. I think that if they made, and this is the one thing is that Alcatel makes a lot of like low cost entry level stuff. But if they made like a like a a premium version, I think they would do really. They would, this would do really well to like funnel people in there. Because like you say, well, if does... they're adding new features all the time, if it's compatible with iOS and Android, like they're not just targeting people who own Alcatel phones, which is. Right, exactly. And this is their first foray into iOS support. Yeah. So company like companies uh, like HTC and uh, who else is doing something by branching out? Uh, Asus? HTC's, sorry? Is it Asus? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're doing, a com- they're, they're doing a, uh, some th- interesting things. Um HTC is going to be working on things in the, you know, the connected home space is what I've heard. And, um, you know, these are companies that can no longer rely on profits from smartphones because they're just not making any. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, AOT has this weird problem right now where they're, they're not really known as a brand yet and they're they're doing something to change that they're sponsoring the color run they have an innovation center opening somewhere in the u.s Uh, but their phones are just good enough that most people are going to be okay buying them yeah so which is interesting because usually the the issue is that because you have all the major players all the korean companies and, and stuff but usually anybody else trying to muscle in on that they're not making great products which is kind no. of the issue. So that's the problem is when people do buy them, they're like, oh, I bought this phone, but it kind of sucks. And the next one is going to buy a Samsung, I'm just going to buy a Galaxy or whatever. This is, I think Alcatel really feels like they just need to get people in the door. Like they just need to, once they can get the phone in people's hands, that people will be convinced. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, to me, what's, what's so interesting about it is, you know, uh, are they, you know, the first impression is fairly good, but are they reliable? And, and I think that's, something that we don't really hear a lot about yeah uh you know we we try phones and we return them that's we don't really hold on to them but when people buy phones they they buy them for two two years and by you know 12 to 18 months those phones are often falling apart and those warranties are up and then they're forced to buy new ones but at the prices that alcatel charges for those phones they're so replaceable you can pick another one up for 100 bucks 150 dollars and you know that's sort of this kind of consumable model that is beginning to become a little bit more uh you know normal in in the smartphone space yeah i just my i don't know i'm i know i agree with you um i'm just thinking about the watch again and, and how much i would want to use it because it's weird how I'm, I'm thinking about the watch and it seems more attractive if i'm using it with an alcatel phone alcatel one-touch phone, but then when I think about like, hey, do I want to use that watch with my iPhone? And I'm kind of like, not really, because it's kind of, it's. I feel like <clears throat> it's the, like the UI and and the, like you said, the resolution of the display. It's almost too budget for me to want to use it with the technology that I have now. I don't know. But think about the choices for iPhone users, and I, and, yeah, you know, this yeah. is something that, um, you know, we're going to touch on a lot in the run-up to the to the watch. 
you know, what are, what do they have right now that Definitely, works yeah. as a as a smartwatch? They have the Pebble, they have a bunch of um, uh, those those Micronos smartwatches that we'll talk about later in the show. Uh, those are super cheap and super not that cheerful. Uh, we disagree have... on this because they have some women's ones that are actually pretty nice. But anyway. Oh, I'm not talking about the looks. I'm just talking about the oh. functionality. Okay. Um, they have, you know, the, there's some Kronos watches, I believe. Uh, am, I, am I saying that right? Is the, does um, the Martian one from Guest, does that one work with iPhone? I don't know if it does. Martian, yes, I believe yeah. Martian does. Uh, and But that's not really a smartwatch. I mean, that's a notifier. You know, it has a is a tiny little row on the on the watch face that you know scrolls your messages. I mean, that's nowhere well, no, near like the functionality. No, like it can read your messages to you. It's got a speaker, and you can you can dictate messages to it. Oh, give me a break! It has it has a ninety six by sixteen pixel <laughs> OLED display. Like that is <laughs> not like even close to. Okay, can you imagine? What watch like, are you wearing right now? Well, I'm, I'm wearing. I'm just wearing the 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 Withings yeah, activity. How big is the screen on that? Well, there's no there's no screen on it <laughs> exactly but that's the point is that i'm i make that I, I made that you know conscious decision not to wear a smartwatch but as a smartwatch i'm just saying the notifier is is kind of useless so i uh, guess if we're talking about choice for apple users you wouldn't include that i sure i would i mean if it works it works and if if it's the best possible i've i think the pebble is still the best choice for most people when it comes to ios um until the the um, the Apple Watch comes out, but you also have to realize that the Apple Watch is going to be three hundred and fifty dollars US yes. at so, the very least. So in, you know, in like with that said, I think that yeah, the, the Alcatel One Touch Pop. It's what is it? The One Touch Watch is that what it's called? It's just the yeah Alcatel One Touch Watch. Okay, I think that it probably be the it will probably be the most popular among Apple users. I think if you're going Android, there. There's so many other options that people could be convinced, well, if I just spend a little bit more, I can get X or Y. Whereas Apple, it's like, you can either have the Pebble or this or an expensive Apple Watch. You'd be surprised, though, the sensitivity consumers have to yeah. prices above, um, you know, certain certain limits. So, you know, that $99 limit, that's sort of the entry level for a lot of wearables. You see the Fitbits and, and Jawbones, they... They kind of come in that ninety-nine dollar range. Yeah, one hundred and fifty seems to be about the cheapest people will. Or the um, most expensive people will go for the. Oh, the lower sorry, yeah. yeah, right. Like the they, they won't really go above that when it comes to just like entry level wearables. Yeah, um, the Martian is is one forty-nine as well. Uh, no, we the, saw. Yeah, but the Guess one is not. The Guess one is like two forty-nine or three hundred. Oh yeah, but the Guess is a it's a fashion piece. First and foremost, I mean, it's that's going to be sold by guess. It's not going to be sold. Okay. My get my guess. My my assumption is that it's going to be sold out of guest stores and oh, at yeah. kiosks. Um, but I'm just looking at the Jawbone. So the original Jawbone up is now down to eighty dollars. Uh, Misfit is one of the cheaper ones, right? Yeah, the jaw the the up twenty four is one forty. Uh, the up three isn't in Canada yet, as far as I can tell. No, uh, the not. Fitbit charge. No, the, sorry, thinking something else. Thinking Wake about, up, Jane. I'm thinking about the Misfit Shine. I thought you said Misfit and you said Fitbit. Um, oh yeah, the, Misfit um, Shine is 79, I think, right? Right, but that also has no screen. 
the Fitbit Charge, which has a screen, but not really much in the way of smart smartwatch features, that's 140. And the original Fitbit Flex is, is 100. So, you know, you can get wearables in all, um, at all price points now. And looking at the Samsung uh, lineup, the Gear Live is 180. Uh, the Gear 2 is 270. Wow. So you can only, which one is Gear 2 you can only use with um, Samsung devices? With the Samsung, Ryzen, yeah. yeah. Which and the Gear Fit, fit the curved Gear Fit oh, is 120. Yeah, well, that was handicapped by the real-time OS, I think. Which may be the same for uh, for the Alcatel, right? Yeah. And and the, the granddaddy of them all, the Gear S, is 350. <laughs> well, yeah. So... Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I think the wearable space is, is going to be increasingly, uh, you know, volatile this year, if, if only because once the Apple Watch comes out, it's going to force people to drive down prices just to compete. So, you know, we're going to have comp- companies like Withings that have a watch or, uh, th- there was another one on the floor, the Canary, I think, Which that we saw. That? Which Remember one the that? one that we saw on the show floor that had an eight-month battery? Um, a lot of the no, the, the, the weird thing, we, cuckoo. Yeah, we but we saw cuckoo a lot watch. of canary. We saw a lot of like we saw. I, I would say at least three or four in that one afternoon that we spent on in the in the wearable section. We saw at least three or four that were like advertising the fact that you don't need to charge this. It runs right. on like a regular watch cell battery that you just replace after eight months. The shooters. I mean that's the next frontier yeah. is you know ba- battery life for wearables. The Apple Watch is going to last a day. Most Android Wear devices last about a day, day and a half. Uh, this is going to be the only thing that companies can compete on, and I think that's why the Pebble continues to garner such acclaim. Is that it, it's improved so much in terms of software, but its its battery life because it has an e-paper display is still yeah. so superior to anything else. Yeah, and it is it is such a it is such a pain point. Even like I love my smartwatch and I think at one point during CS I thought I lost my charger and I was like panicking because I was like that means I can't wear it today. I can't wear it today if I can't charge it. But charging it every day was a pain and since I've gotten home I haven't worn it once. Like it died on the plane on the way home and I literally haven't put it on. Cuz I'm like I'm sitting at home. Like it's invaluable when you're out, but then yeah, it is it's still like it's an investment to plug it in every night and to you have to really want to use it, which is well, exactly. Which is not exactly conducive to their because well, they want to try and convince people that they need it, and you can't. If someone has to like babysit something every day, then it's added effort that they don't want to put in. The one uh, smartwatch that caught my attention at CES was the stainless steel version of the smartwatch three by Sony, and that's because. This is sort of a modular type of smartwatch. You can actually remove the band completely and replace it with something else without much effort. And the watch face, you know, the body is is uh, is just this you know square piece of metal, and and it uh, it isn't that complicated. It charges via micro USB. And aside from the stainless steel watch strap, which is beautiful, uh, Sony showed off a bunch of sort of ra- uh, prototype accessories that allow you to wear the watch in different ways. So instead of wearing it on your wrist, you can wear it around your belt. 
using a sort of a, a sort of a belt strap. There's bike uh, attachments that they were showing off that were quite neat. Uh, there were necklace attachments that you could do. Uh, it's a bit heavy as, to be worn around the neck, but these are just ways that Sony's showing that you can have these alternatives without without damaging the functionality of the product. You don't need to wear a smartwatch around your wrist. It's probably going to be uh, more important for these OEMs to find alternatives as the wrist becomes such hot real estate. You're going to wear a fitness band. You can also wear a smartwatch, but you may want to wear, say, a NIMI band for permanent uh, authentication. So other ways to find to, to look at your notifications uh, on other parts of your body, uh, you know, maybe worn around around your neck or something uh, could be the next big thing in wearables. Who knows? Yeah, and we've seen that we've sort of seen that. I mean, there was this Rossi collection for Misfit, which had like, they have different all different kinds of, I guess, like receptacles or holders for their it's like a 12 piece collection or something. And they have Yeah, they've got necklaces, they've got bracelets, they've got like armbands and stuff and, and then Fitbit does the same thing with um, Tory Birch, the Tory Birch collection. So, and that's something that I think, I can't remember, was it IDG? Someone said last year at the, um, our wearables expert Tom does an awesome event every month in Toronto and, and they had someone, they had an analyst speak and she said that the, yeah, the, the next. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Place that wearables are going to is that selling kind of fashion accessories that modular wearables fit into, which I think is was totally bang on the money. And we're starting to see the start of that now, which is Sony saying it's not a watch, it's, you know, it's the module and then, you know, a bunch of different accessories. And they, they debuted that in 2014 at CES with their core sensor. And since then, they've, they've rolled out a few alternatives to the regular smart band. Um, but the core is essentially a small piece of plastic that has inside of it a bunch of sensors, yeah. uh, like an accelerometer, an altimeter. And as these all-in-one chips uh, continue to proliferate with more sensors, low power sensors built in, it's going to be really cheap for OEMs to roll out these small pieces of, of wearable tech that could basically fit in a pocket or around your neck. And as you said, be, you know, dressed up in ways that, yeah. that you could do so many different things with them. Yeah, I was looking at um, this new one, this new device that's coming out, the name of which escapes me. Um, but um, it's basically, it's yeah, it's, it's one of these wearables for women. It's this, like, beautiful bangle. Um, and I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, it's, you, know, you can pre-order it now for, like, 269 bucks, but it's, like, 349 And it's this leather band. It comes in silver or gold, and it's got this mother of pearl um, notification thing in there with an LED that lights up all shiny and pretty. But I was like, oh, that's expensive. That's like $300. And I was like, yeah, but it would be nice to have that for when I'm going to like a wedding or something. I can still wear like 
my wearable notification thing. Um, and then I was thinking, is this what it's going to be like? Am I just going to have to buy different devices for different occasions? Like, am I going to have to have like a posh watch that I wear when I go somewhere nice and then like a sport watch that I wear to the gym and, and you know, an everyday watch and then maybe a necklace if I'm, if I'm going somewhere else. I don't know. Like that's, and I actually considered it. I was like, yeah, I could do that. I could just buy a whole bunch. But not everybody is going to do that. Not everybody is. Not everybody has technology as their principal hobby that they're willing to throw money away on. Well, that's. I mean, that's a really good point, and I, I think Sony's trying to address that with the smartwatch 3's design. You know, introducing a stainless steel version that can so easily be, um, you know, changed into a sports strap like yeah. the one that it comes with. You know, you can buy the sports strap for an extra fifty bucks or thirty bucks or whatever it costs. And the Apple Watch is going to come in three editions, and the first and cheapest of those is going to be a sports edition. Um, yeah. I don't know how easy it is going to be to change the straps on the end on, on the the Apple Watch. Well, it's but... really easy. They've got that like they've got that kind of like little barrel that just slides into the you know the way it slides in sideways. It's like a they've got kind of like a what looks like a groove or a gutter, and then they've got the round barrel that you just slot it in the side. It's well, there you go. You've done more research on it than I have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it it does look like they're they've they've thought about it a lot, yeah. and uh, as they should. So and that's one of the things I I think I brought up. I wrote a piece on all the the women like the girly wearables that were at CES, and I I brought up like you know Apple is one of the companies that seems to be doing doing it right when they're when they're targeting women they're doing it right in that it has the same functionality. I think people people didn't really get it because in the in the comments they were like, oh, you just want the Apple Watch. Yeah, everyone's doing it wrong except for Apple, which is not the case. There are other companies doing it right too, but um, yeah, it's essentially the same device but in a, a more feminine form factor. Yeah, and it also comes in thirty-eight and forty-two millimeter versions, which yeah. doesn't just affect the strap. And and one thing that I thought Motorola really failed on with the Moto three hundred and sixty was to create two versions. Yeah. Um, you know they they released thinner straps which were supposed to be for you know optimized for women but the face itself is enormous. Yeah. And you know it, it like dwarfs your wrist. And the issue uh, with that is anybody anybody buying it usually I feel like the black one is more readily available the black model so they yeah. buy that and then and then they what they're supposed to buy this like lovely like gold strap or like rose gold strap and then have this giant black face on the front like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, and there's going to be so you know what what Apple's done right right from the get go is that they have three editions and each edition has some something like ten different straps. Yeah. So the watch, um, the Apple Watch Sport has ten different straps with various different colors. I think it's five colors and two sizes. And that's not to say the, that won't bring its own problems though, because if I buy the Sport because it's the cheapest, and then I'm like, oh, but the the accessories for the really expensive version are so nice. I mean, is the actual face different on the different on the different models? Like, if I buy the the entry level sport version, am I going to get like a rubberized watch module compared to like a a gold body on the the high end? Yeah, I mean, you'll have to decide. It, it looks like there's only one um, one body, as you say, uh, color. Um, there's the black stainless steel case. And then just the stainless steel case. So there's two. Is that, that you can for the, the Sportline or for all of them? That's for the watch and the watch sport. The watch edition is going to have a, I think, a gold face. Yeah. Uh, they, they call it, uh, let me see what they call it. 
Oh, the, it has a few actually. It, it looks really nice. It has like a, a yellow gold version and what looks like a... Like a rose gold? A rose gold, that's it, yeah. And it has a, a colored crown to match the strap. So you can buy, if you buy, say, a white strap with the addition, it'll come with a white crown accent. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, they're, they're calling it uh, rose gold and uh, and yellow gold. So, so there's, there's going to be, be a ton of different options because the addition itself has a bunch of different strap types. types. The regular Apple Watch has a bunch of different strap types in two sizes as well, which will which will affect the actual size of the of the watch. So, yeah, the distribution for this is going to be super interesting. Uh, they're going to have to change up their entire store just to make it uh, compatible, essentially, with the with the Apple Watch. What do you mean? Well, I mean, think about right now when you walk into an Apple store, all of the iPhones, iPods, iPads, MacBooks, they're all tethered to uh, you know various tables. But there's no way that they're going to be able to show off hundreds of different variants of these watches. Well, the first thing they'll do is put one on every single Apple store employee. Like, they'll, they'll put them all on all the staff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which so I that, think is amazing. Yeah, because then they, they'll have, like... They'll have like, you know, every single kind of person. Like if you walk into an Apple store, like the staff, it's, it's very, it's very diverse. It's like a Benetton ad. So you're going to have already every variable of person there who have all picked their own watch to wear. They probably won't let them wear the edition, but they'll, they'll let them wear all different kinds. Um, and then and that'll be kind of a, a display in itself. But yeah, you're right. It's like, how will they show off the, the functionality beyond... I don't know if everyone will be okay approaching a salesperson and saying, can you show me the watch and what it does? Because that will require a lot of training for the salesperson to give like a 90-second elevator pitch. Yeah, and as 9to5Mac as reported last week, they've scheduled uh, training for early February to release the, the device yeah. or the, the watch in, in, in March. So uh, not sure when in March, but I mean, they have a good month-long lead time yeah, they'll probably do it around MWC because they're not going to go there either. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, nobody's no Apple ignores the the conferences. Yeah. Um, they ignore them so, unless they're unless they plan to release something around the same time. In which case, they ignore them, but pretend everyone else is ignoring them too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. I mean, they they release uh, you know leaked information during MWC or during CES. They you know this this uh, Apple Watch training information, you know, supposedly was leaked, but who knows how Nine to Five got its its information? It could have been a controlled leak. So, yeah, you know, they they ignore it, but they're always very aware of what everybody else is is uh, announcing. Yeah, and um, very eager to redirect attention when necessary. Because the it thing works. is, yeah, well, that's true. It's like. You know, everyone's at CES and drowning in a sea of wearables of varying levels of quality. And then Apple says, hey, don't forget, we've got a watch coming out next month. Right. Like... And, and I mean, what, what's so interesting, too, is that there weren't any really great wearables at CES. So I mean, there was bad the, wearables. There, was, there, there were a lot of smartwatches. There were a lot of fitness bands, yeah. and, and many of them just mimicked one another. But there was nothing that stood out. Not a single smartwatch stood out to me and said, this is going to uh, address the Apple Watch problem. Uh, there, were, there were, aside from the, the smartwatch 3, 
There wasn't a single new Android Wear smartwatch. Uh, Android Wear itself has been kind of quiet in the last month or so since the announcement of uh, well, the smartwatch 5.0. three wasn't even a new Android Wear watch. It was a new strap for the old smartwatch three that was announced in September. Exactly. So really, uh, I think the the smartwatch makers are, are taking a wait and see approach, and they're addressing the market in other ways. Uh, wearables were were enormous, but we saw a lot of head mounted wearables at CES. We saw some really impressive VR stuff. Uh, we got a demo of, of two of, of what I think are two of the most exciting uh, head-mounted wearables to come out in 2015, the Avagant Glyph and the Sulon uh, Cortex. Yeah. And um, the first is, uh, you, you can see it right now on the front page, with, I'm, I'm wearing it. Uh, it's, it's a pair of headphones that you slide down over your eyes to watch video content. And the Sulon Cortex is is a more traditional head tracking VR unit where you can basically walk around. And the difference between that and something like Oculus is that the uh, Cortex maps out the room in front yeah, of you so using like, a bunch of sensors. It's like VR with like AOR boosters. <laughs> with with little rockets on the bottom. Yeah, well, no, it is. But they they always they always talk about it like it's a it's like the the kind of the meeting point of like uh, virtual reality and augmented reality because it basically takes a virtual experience and then it projects it onto the room and f- like that you're standing in which is yeah and, and it has the same technology that project tango uses where they use low power infrared cameras to map out the exact dimensions of the room so that when you're standing in a room and you're playing a game the actual perimeter of the virtual reality room will mimic what's happening in the real world so if you're using say if you, if you have a game that's creating uh, randomly generated worlds it may allow you to uh, play within a certain within the confines of a physical space uh, both for safety and for convenience can you can you imagine how amazing that would be if it was like the next generation of like of video arcades so you go into this kind of like, you know the way when you go paintballing, they have this giant like assault course where you can like hide behind all these things <laughs> and do all this kind of stuff. Can you imagine how awesome it would be if they had basically just like this big warehouse full of like obstacles and, and, and stuff to hide behind and then it was just a video game? It would be insane. Absolutely. And I, I think um, what, what's so interesting. So let me, let me explain the demo to you because uh, I think people will be interested in it. So... The, the Cortex right now is a prototype, and it's pretty janky, uh, as was the Glyph. But both of them were very advanced technologically. The Cortex, you put it on, and you put your hands in front of your face, and the cameras on your eyes detect your hands. And then when they've located your hands in, in sort of real time, then you can manipulate objects in the, in the world that has been generated. So what I saw was a blank room sort of like what you saw in the matrix with the just the white screen everywhere and uh neo and trinity standing in the middle of it and i i saw an engine just floating a a, a real v8 that was just sitting like floating in in midair and i was able to pull apart the engine with my hands and then I could walk around the individual components of the engine i could bend down i could look underneath them i mean this was true virtual reality in 3d and i haven't seen the latest version of the oculus rift i don't know how well it works in terms of head tracking but also space tracking 
but this was an absolutely incredible example of what's to come in VR. So I think, uh, and Sulon is actually a Canadian company. It's, it's based in Markham, Ontario, uh, very close to where I grew up. And, I, and that's sort of the Silicon Valley of uh, Silicon Valley, North, North, you know, it's not quite Toronto and it's very far North from, from the real S Silicon Valley. But uh, this is what, what sprouted out of AMD and Qualcomm. They have big offices there. Uh, AMD bought ATI, which was uh, the first big company uh, around that area. So a lot of really cool stuff happening out of Sulon, and, and uh, I can't wait to see what they do. And then you saw the glyph too. Yeah, the glyph was just crazy. So that's something else altogether. You basically plug it into any HDMI-compatible uh, device, like a phone or a tablet or, or a computer, and you can just watch content like it's it's a, it's content uh, you know first and foremost uh it's not vr in this in the traditional sense but it is so well done and i and that one i'm, I'm it's 500 dollars, but I'm, I'm gonna buy one for sure really oh yeah totally. i'm like because I mean, i'm i did i never i didn't get to try it um i was swimming in the depths of westgate when you were at that demo but yeah, i know um, it was my fault no no it was i had my own fun in westgate is this like hotel behind the convention center um where they stash all the companies that didn't get floor space um and i saw some some bigger companies in there some pc case companies and stuff that i was like what are you guys doing here and you know they said they didn't they didn't get there in time but i imagine it's an expense thing but anyway westgate is full of equal well a lot of garbage and a small amount of treasure but um but yeah you get the i didn't so i didn't see glyph but i did see the gear the gear viewer which for me yes. is that I was, that's the one that I was like, I don't care. I want to buy it. Like, I don't know when it's going to come into Canada, if it's going to Canada, but I mean, it was, I think you saw the same, you saw the same demo that I did, the, yep. the Cirque du Soleil, which was really cool. Cause you just put it on and they, they actually shot a kind of a Cirque du Soleil video for, for the demo. And you know, Vegas is riddled with Cirque du Soleil shows. So, but it was amazing. You're sitting like front row and you turn around and, the theater is completely empty and you're all by yourself and then there's these aerialists doing doing their thing in front of you and you turn you, you know you look to your left and there's different performers sitting watching with you on the stage you're sitting on the front of the stage and they're you know they see you looking and they and they point and they say no watch watch what those guys are doing and it's it's really incredible it's just insane and then yeah we, we i did a couple of games too i don't know if you did the games but that's one part yeah, that I i'm that i'm doing that i'm like yeah i'm gonna buy it I was very impressed with the VR, and and you know we have to say it from the outset, it is powered by Oculus, but it needs a Galaxy Note Four at the moment to yeah. even function, uh, and that's just due to the computing uh, needs of of the um, the GPU. Yeah. So what we saw was was a very early content demo, and they plan on rolling it out to the U.S. I think it's available right now in the U.S., but uh, yeah. in Canada, I I believe Tom. Emmerich spoke to a, uh, a Canadian Samsung rep who said that they're not they're taking their time with Canadian rollout because they need to license content. Otherwise, there's just going to be nothing to do. Yeah, uh, and they're, they're trying to address that with, with milk too. Milk, they have milk Vior, which is like their their attempt to ensure that there's not only content for people who buy Vior, but to ensure that it's a constantly replenished source, so that you're never saying not like netflix in some countries where you know you're like well i've watched it all so now there's no point renewing my subscription like it's they're trying to make sure that there's a constant stream 
which is which is good which is excellent and that's what's necessary because these vr platforms need content to be made specially for them yeah you know unlike the glyph which is basically meant just to watch and consume movies and and, you know play video games on um i mean and that does take a, a certain you know nuance but if you're playing uh, you know, VR specific games, it has to take advantage of, of, of what you can do with it. Otherwise, it's just going to be boring. Um, and I, I think a lot of these companies are taking their time converting existing content into not just 3D compatible, but fully VR compatible, which is much more time consuming. Yeah. But it is interesting. I think that once the content is there, I think it will, it truly will transform how we consume content. Like you said, you're going to buy one already. And but then I, I'm thinking the guy, the guy from the from Samsung that I was going through the demo with, told me that he was using the Gear Viewer on the plane and he watched like two movies on the on the plane and he was like, yeah, I just like I took off, I played one movie, I watched it and I, then I played the second movie and he's like, and then I was there and it was amazing and it wasn't like a, I guess I'm on the plane, I'll watch this movie because I don't have anything else to do. It was like you wanted to, you wanted to sit there and enjoy that content because it was so big and it was so like right in front of you and it was so engaging. Right. So can you see yourself like sitting down with like your fiance and like you both have like the glyph on and you're watching the same movie? No, I, I, <laughs> I mean, that's really VR's primary issue is that it's very much an intimate and, and personal experience. And, um, you know, event, eventually I think they'll solve that problem. Uh, they have to. But the first few generations of, of VR are going to be, you know, tethered to physical devices. And until they can share content over the Internet, I mean, multi, multiplayer gaming over VR is going to be amazing. And I think that's possible today. But sharing sort of a even an in-room experience with somebody over VR is, is that's going to be a, a difficult problem to work out. Yeah. So... It'll happen because VR is not going anywhere and it's only getting better. And, uh, you know, the things that we see today with, uh, you know, Oculus and Sulon, those are going to be laughable in five years. People are going to think those were as as underdeveloped as the original iPhone uh, was uh, today, right? Like we, we look at yeah. back at the iPhone 1 or the HTC Dream and we yeah. look at it and we go, how did anybody use that crap, right? Not it's the same thing with VR. Boy not only that but it was that's the best we could do then like that's the that's that was us maxing out like everything we had yeah and and look at software design just how far that's come to i mean android 5 compared to the original android 1.5 or ios 2 compared to ios 8 you know it's 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 night and day i mean these are these are completely different experiences right so yeah i mean i'm i'm pretty I'm pretty excited about what's to come in VR. Uh, we saw some really cool stuff uh, to do with drones, too. I was going to say, speaking uh, of things that will be laughable in five years. Oh, no. This is going to be not laughable. This we is will weep. Weep terrifying. for the simpler time when the drones could be contained by nets on the show floor. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we saw some really terrifying and interesting demos. One uh, is, is a company called Trace uh, Live network and, and yeah. tell us about that because because you had a, a pretty good demo of that trace is super super interesting um trace just just right before they got to see us and set up their booth they had they signed like um like content partnerships to to get content for their, their network of streamed or they've got basically like a streaming service 
they have two parts of their business. They've got the drones, which are equipped with cameras, and, and you can basically shoot stuff and live stream it to their streaming service. But obviously, like we've been talking about, no service is worth jack unless it's got content there already. So they're pre-populating with, with this content partnerships. But what they were showing off at CES was, was the camera and the drone. Um, and they have essentially the brains of it is in the tracer, which is this camera module that's packed with Trace's own um, intelligent imaging software. Um, and that basically this, this module can be plugged into all manners of different like drones, cars, they mentioned a submarine, like all different kinds of, of devices. And the, the goal is that you can then send this drone and it will track you or another object and it will film it and then live stream that content to your phone or to the internet. Um, but we got a, the demo that we got was the drone because they said that they brought that because, you know, drones are cool. And they were in the drone town that was in the convention center. But they had it locked onto a barcode and a clipboard. And we have a cool video of this on the website. But um, yeah, and it was just, yeah, you, you power on the drone and it doesn't require your phone. It's got two sensors. It's got the image sensor and, um, and like an altimeter to tell how high it is. And other than that, it's got nothing. So it tracks, it uses the imaging software to, to lock onto its target. You tell it what to look for, and then you power it on, and it takes about a minute to power on. And after about 45 seconds, it beeps to let you know that it's it's getting there. And then it, it just lifts off the ground. It's super creepy. You don't control it. There's nobody standing there with a smartphone, like swiping their finger around or using the, the accelerometer. Um, and then it just lifts off the ground, and it sees its target, and it starts to follow it. And we actually saw, we saw, we got a demo, we got a couple of demos because this prototype was, was very, very early, very early stages. But um, the second demo that we got was the battery was sitting too far forward in the device. So it, it rose up and then it just like charged forward and it just pitched forward towards its target, which we were like, we looked at each other and we were like, yep, that's pretty scary. Because the guy, like, yeah, the guy, I mean, they were, they were all, the guys at the booth were used to, you know, dealing with malfunctioning drones, but they, um, yeah, they just kind of like, they kind of just, handler kind of reached in and, and took it out of the sky. But yeah, the guy had to duck, the guy holding the barcode had to duck. But the correct demo was eventually, we eventually saw it and it was basically, yeah, you know, he moved the, he moved the piece of paper around and the drone followed it. And then if you hide the paper, and I actually found this out after because I talked to, to one of the developers, but they had said, you know, once, once it can't see the target anymore, it will, it'll land, it'll stop. But apparently it'll actually search for you for a while first. So if you're, if you're, if you hide, if this is chasing you and you hide, it's programmed to look for you for a certain amount of time. So in the small demo area that we had, it was programmed to look for like two seconds. So it would stay in the air for two seconds. And this is to, this is supposed to account for momentum carrying the, the drone too far. And if it needs to, once it stops, it might need to kind of recalibrate and look around and, and realign with the target. But if it can't find the target in that allotted amount of time, it will then drop to the ground. But I guess technically you could, I don't know how, I don't know what the, I don't know what the limit is on how long you can set it to keep looking. But it's kind of scary, especially since the next booth had these big, massive, like, metal, like, huge drones that said that they were for, like, border control and, and forest fires and, quote, public safety. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, in, in addition to it being scary, you know, the, there were some of these drones, they were made of, you know, titanium and, and yeah. you know uh, graphite or car carbon composite or whatever yeah. light things are you know strong and and they are basically made to go around into industrial areas and and search out 
things and, and fix problems that humans can't get to, uh, yeah. which is great. And, and you know, really laudable, um, you know, purposes for these drones. Yeah. But the drones themselves could be misused, mishandled, and, and nobody seems to know. Governments, companies, they, they don't seem to know how this is going to be regulated. They, they just are sort of taking a wait-and-see approach. And Yeah, I think they're trying they, to tackle it. They're more kind of, you know, we'll take it as it comes. So the I know Canada's drone laws at the moment are, okay, well, it can't be within like eight miles of an airport. And they're kind of, as people are starting to use them more recreationally, they're, they're coming up with new guidelines on, on what you're not allowed to do. But yeah, as you said, as it, in terms of any long-term kind of preventative measures, they're not really doing anything. Well, yeah, and I, I think the, you know, the, it'll take one really bad accident for for the governments to wake up. But, yeah. uh, you know, current consumer drones are not particularly powerful, but they're also a lot yeah. easier to... If you feel to, threatened, to, just wait 15 minutes. Right, <laughs> and, and that, that's the thing. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're easy to sort of knock off course because they're not particularly powerful and they're not particularly smart. Yeah. The um, the trace live tracker though is interesting because it doesn't use cameras. Yeah. Sorry, it, it doesn't use GPS. Um, GPS. It uses just visual line of sight. Yeah. And there is there is drones that have like a follow me feature where you can say, hey, follow me, and then the drone will follow you around. Which is they're trying to push it for like sports, so you can be skateboarding or, or doing whatever, and the drone will follow you and, and film you, and you don't have to control it, which is great. But there are drones that already do that based on your phone. So they'll use, the, they'll use your smartphone and they'll basically track your phone and thereby track you. But this doesn't do any of that. It's just has this like bloodthirsty drive to follow whatever you told it to. Yeah, exactly. And you can, yeah, you know, those other drones, you can throw your phone away and it will follow the phone. This is like, you have to hide and hope whoever programmed it didn't, didn't account for, you know, 15 minutes of looking for you. Oh my goodness. And once this stuff becomes open source, I mean, you can imagine what's going to happen once somebody open sources the, the plans for you know a drone, um, like a, a drone OS essentially, right? You can mm. I mean, things things are going to go bad. I I just have a feeling, um, you know, it's really the first time the technology is becoming, I mean, like cars, but but cars we control. You know, we're responsible unless. You know, it's the same thing as self-driving cars, but drones feel more, I guess, ominously uh, capable of, 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 of menace. It's not like is it they self-driving can fly? cars. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> fact that they're flying, too, is is, is probably well, no, the biggest No, it's like regular monkeys, like rabbit monkey menacing, like flying monkey, super scary. Like, I don't know. Is it like... Because cars, yeah, self-driving cars should... They're more advanced for, for certain. I just don't know... If it's yeah, I don't know. The yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm not as scared of the idea of self driving cars, but I I guess that's all relative, right? Because self driving cars are so heavily regulated too. Yeah. Um, that nothing is gonna hit the road until the government is is completely convinced that, that an accident is, is pretty much out of the question, or at least the safety measures taken in an accident are are you know, ample, because you're yeah. not going to prevent other people from from uh, crashing into it. But at least you can take the you know the right measures to ensure that the passengers inside the car 
are uh, yeah bmw are had, a, had a cool demo this year that we didn't get to um but they were like challenging journalists to crash their their car i think it was the i3 i'm not sure if it was the yeah I3. so they were saying yeah like come crash our car and yeah the, the collision avoidance would would correct the damage before it could be done it would it would put the car back on course and, and stop it that's really impressive yeah it's awesome so I guess, uh, you know, the other sort of non-mobile but related part of CES was just the proliferation of um, smartphone OSs on uh, smart televisions. And we saw that with WebOS 2.0, you know, that's the second version of uh, LG's WebOS uh, software that, that they bought from HP a couple of years ago. Samsung has launched a series of Tizen powered smart TVs. And Android TV is now standard on every Sony Bravia television uh, for its 2015 line. So we have three different platforms that that were born out of the smartphone era and will easily connect to a smartphone. Yeah, which I think is the future of, that's the future of connected TVs, really. Um, I think it just is born out of the fact that when, I think it was, we were talking about the Internet of Things at the end of, I don't know if it was a New Year's podcast, we were saying, Doug was saying, you know, you need this central hub, like you need, I think we were talking about phones, and it was saying that the phones will be capable of more just by virtue of the fact that we'll have this kind of, this brain that just sends information out to all our different devices. And I think that's what's kind of going on here is that, I mean, I remember CS 2009, like Sony had their Bravia smart TVs. Um, and nobody really cared about them then, and nobody. I feel like I didn't. I don't know anybody who used their smart TV stuff until, until quite recently, in the last couple of years. And I think having yeah. a, a a more having a phone OS makes it infinitely more connected. Makes you I mean you can do more. Well, also it comes down to content as well. Yeah. Um, you know there was there was a reason that the Netflix COO ended up at both the Sony and Have LG conference that? in the Is same day. Was it the same dude? Oh, yeah. He, I, I remember. I mean, he's the same <laughs> guy. Pimping himself out for, for the cause. Yeah. But, you know, Netflix was the first killer app available on television, on smart TVs. And, you know, you, know, you can get, get Netflix, Netflix on practically any uh, device, device now. now that, you know, Xbox, Xbox PlayStation, PlayStation uh, Roku, Roku, Apple TV... But they're all built, and and you can you can uh, you know cast it or yeah. or, or uh, airplay it to your television. But basically, any cheap uh, TV is is going to be Netflix compatible. And you know, somebody I think it was um, one of the Sony execs who said, eventually your TV's not you're not going to differentiate between a smart TV and a dumb TV. Every TV is just going to be smart. Yeah. Right? It's just going to have that capability in it, right? Yeah. So. And that's what I guess stuff like the Chromecast and the Roku, they're kind of, they acted, I don't know if it's it's okay to use past tense already, but they kind of acted as a stopgap solution when people, when TVs weren't that smart because they were using a very kind of closed proprietary software. When you could just plug in the Roku and run all these different apps that you wanted to be able to run on your TV but couldn't without like an external device oh the i mean if you look back on it in in a couple of years you'll see that the chromecast was one of google's most brilliant 
ideas because it was a loss leader. Clearly, they were losing money on this, you know, $35. And they were giving them away. I mean, they weren't, the, the reason that they, that they quote unquote sold so many of them is because they gave them away. So with, with, with everything, you, you yeah. bought a, bought a Nexus 5, get a Chromecast. You bought a, you know, buy a tablet, you get a Chromecast. Like they were throwing them everywhere because this is the way that Google gets onto your television. Yeah, this is how Google wants to get in your living room. Right. And and it's so easy, you know, the number of, of clients that support Chromecast or Cast, I guess they, they got rid of the Chrome part. Yeah. Uh, casting is, is huge. And now casting is built into um, Android TV and Android TV itself is no longer just tethered to a box. You know, the Nexus player is available. You can buy it for 115 bucks or whatever, but it's now going to be built into every Bravia television. And I saw a bunch from, I think it was uh, Sharp or Toshiba. All their TVs have Android uh, Android TV. So, you know, th- this is the right strategy. Yeah. I feel like it's something that we, we kind of, like when I look at, when we saw kind of WebOS at the beginning, um, I think it was... Uh, kind of middle of last year, I saw some of LG's WebOS TVs, and I still am kind of a bit confused because I can kind of get where Samsung's going with their ties in, and then the Android Wear TVs, but WebOS doesn't run on a phone, which kind of confuses me a bit because I can kind of see the connection, but for WebOS, it's like it still seems like too proprietary. Well, so for now, I mean, you don't. If you just look at it from as like a smartphone OS, then obviously Tizen is failing, but. Yeah. Uh, it's it's more the fact that they are taking advantage of Tizen because they control many parts of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Samsung was quick to, or you know, the reps were quick to correct me when I mentioned that Samsung owns Tizen because that's not true. Yeah. They're just the only ones using it. It's sort of like Symbian. Uh, Nokia didn't own Symbian. Yeah. It was an open source platform that Nokia was the only company using. Um, so Tizen is powerful and it's not Android. And I think that's really what it yeah, comes down to. Yeah, but for WebOS, what's the deal with that? That's what I'm kind of... Well, I mean, it just has a, it has a strong core. It's sort of like Qunix, right? Yeah. Qunix doesn't... It has so many applications because it it's back its back end. Its infrastructure is so powerful. I think WebOS is the same. But like Symbian, it's like, does it matter how powerful it is if no one else is using it? It depends, right? Because they're using open standards. They're using DLNA. Eventually, they'll use uh, USB over Wi-Fi. You know, they have they they have the capabilities of adding things like cast support. Uh, and at, at the same time, it's still a television, right? You can still plug a receiver into it and do whatever you want with it. You can plug a, a yeah. No, a, and that's what Apple I agree. TV. It's not it's not the same as buying a smartwatch. That's you know. It's not like it's not the same as buying a Tizen smartwatch and saying, "Oh, can only work with X and Y." Like it's not, it's right. not that closed. But it's still that's one of the things I I would be wary of if I was buying a TV. I would be much more like, "Oh, Android Wear." I bet that that's going to go somewhere cool than if I was buying a WebOS TV. But I think for now, Android Wear's biggest virtue is that it it is connected to Android, and I I think mm. Samsung has the same yeah. goal with with uh, the Gear series. Uh, yeah. because it's connected to the Samsung version of Android, which is so different from regular Android. Um, we'll see. I mean, WebOS 2 is, is a lot less smartphone-y than, uh, you know, than I saw with Android TV. Android TV is is just a blown-up version of, of, you know, sort of like a lean-back version of Android, and it runs the same apps. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, WebOS doesn't really have an app store. I mean, it has a few, but they're focusing more on usability. They're focusing on the fact that uh, you can overlay the WebOS pl- uh, you know, UI on top of your TV and it will download all your you know, show information and, and whatnot. You can find similar programming. Mm. So it, it's a lot less of a, you know, it's a, they're using it less as a hub and more of just an enhanced version of right. what they already had. Uh, so anyway, I, I think, you know, overall CES was, was tiring. I, I think we worked really hard and it's been, it's been a, a long recovery process. Yeah, I, I can't speak for you, I, but I, I still feel like garbage. <laughs> I definitely still feel like garbage, as you can probably tell from my Dude. voice. Um, but I, I'm, I'm glad I went, and, and oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't glad the first couple of days. I, I thought it would never end, and the expanse of Vegas is huge, and the smell of Vegas is, is disgusting, <laughs> and uh, the cigarettes are are gross, and just the sheer uh, excess of everything is is gross. Yep. But by the third or fourth day, I'd got on over my hang, my my uh, jet lag. My hangover had sort of like melded into my regular, you know, daily functioning life, daily <laughs> daily work, and you were a it felt better. And, yeah, Advil helped. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't so bad. So, you know, I'm glad I went. And Decided I, I mean, yes, 2016. Uh, no, not Call yet. your trend now. What do you think it's gonna be? Uh, robots. robots. I think lots of robots next year. Oh man. We saw a bit of that this year. But yeah, we saw some, year, but they were really primitive. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think that's it for today. Uh, we've we've taken you for about uh, eighty minutes, and uh, if you're still with us, we really appreciate it. Sorry. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll we'll probably well we will get on a regular weekly schedule again, but we'll. We'll probably be uh, back in nine days next uh, Thursday. We wanted to get this out as soon as possible uh, post-CES before we forgot everything. And hopefully Douglas will be well next week and uh, will be back joining us. Because we have a lot of really great stuff next week. We have some carrier-related information. We're going to have some uh, MWC preview stuff. Uh, We've got a bunch of leaks. (laughs) It's going to be great. So thank you again for what for for listening, and if you watched us on the the YouTube, uh, we're sorry. Version, thanks for watching. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not sure if uh, it's. Well, I think it's just me basically. It, it didn't it didn't change. Well, I'm glad. The whole mm. time, so you just saw my face for an hour and ten, twenty minutes. Uh, that is the syrup cast for this week. Thank you, Jane. You thank are you, lovely Daniel. as always. You were amazing. And oh well, I'm sick, but uh, thanks anyways. We will see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye.